the Pharisees are often portrayed and, and undoubtedly were uh, obstacles and debating opponents of Jesus, uh, but here they come to him as an ally warning him about Herod's intent. Listen both to what Jesus says and the tone in which he probably said it. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That is the gospel of the Lord. That's the form. The function was powerful in its own time. It's powerful in our time, too. We could do this with every verse, but I just picked a couple of sections out from this, these little rifts in the poetic structure that I think, especially when I think of this last week, uh, speak a lot of important stuff to us today. So we're, we're going to kind of jump around in it, and I'll just give you one verse at a time. Let's start with this one. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. That's from verse 3. So the person who writes this and the metaphor that they're using, are they under attack? No, the army is encamped against them. The army is still outside the walls. The, still, the army is still over the, the horizon of the, of the hill. What's, what's the writer saying about fear? Fear is anticipatory. In other words, when we are most afraid, it's when we're thinking about the possibility of, of doing something that we don't want to do, are unfamiliar with in a place that we don't want to be. Whatever it might be, fear is anticipatory. And it's what paralyzes us, and it's what makes us stupid. Because when we get afraid in our anticipation, then we also tend to shut ourselves down, and we are more stupid when we're alone and by ourselves than when we are connected to each other. There's this fascinating research about people that have progressive diseases like MS or ALS. And, and what they, they found time and again when they poll people when they are first diagnosed is that their anticipation and dread of the disease is profound. And a, a typical set of questions are, um, when, you, when you think you will have to use a cane, what will we, that be like? And the person invariably thinks that will dramatically lower their quality of life. When you uh, are confined to a wheelchair, what will that be like? And the person then anticipates that they will essentially have no quality of life. But, but when their diseases, if their diseases actually progress to that point, when they're, when they're pulled again, they, they understand their, their quality of life very differently and at a much higher level than what they had feared. Fear is anticipatory. It makes us stupid. Faith is powerful because it keeps us connected to each other and to our God. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Verse 11, lead me on a level path. It's spring in Wisconsin. Uh, you can talk to me after the service about what you think is the roughest section of road in uh, eastern Waukesha County. My, my, my current vote is for Calhoun Road, north of the railroad tracks before you get to Burleigh. It's literally at this point an off-road course. Just drive it today. See what it's like. 
Crazy stuff. Uh, sadly, a much more serious example. Uh, maybe in the papers or on TV, you've seen the, the path of the, the Boeing flight. It wasn't a level path. And, and, and the thing about that situation, like a couple things crossed my mind. One, you know, when my wife and I, Barb and I, flew to Togo to visit our son, it was on Ethiopian Airlines. He flew it a couple times in Africa. Uh, Andrew Deneu from this congregation, who's working in, in Kenya right now, has flown Ethiopian Airlines a couple of times. And the cool thing about that airline is that it's an, it, it's an African airline uh, seeking to better serve Africa for the sake of Africa. And, and they use new equipment, and they have, by reputation, really well-trained crews. And, and yet, you, you, everybody can already kind of see what happened in the situation, which is that you know, the FAA probably didn't oversee the, the, the launch as, as diligently as they normally would have, and Boeing pushed it out faster than they probably should have. And Ethiopian Airlines, in this case, had a really well-trained pilot, but not a very well-trained first officer on that flight. And so all those things conspired. And 300 of those planes haven't crashed, but, but now two of them have. And, and then this is our moral life too, right? I, I mean, you cut a couple moral corners, and you can get away with it. Um, you ethically lower your standards in your, your place of work or a, as a company, and you can get away with it. And, and you can ignore taking care of your spirituality, and you can do that for a year or five years, and you can get away with it. Or maybe you can't. And, and you just know what that is. I mean, it's so easy to start cutting the corners. And, and you can get away with it. Me too. But you don't want to be in the position where suddenly you, you realize that that, that that was a profound mistake. In the positive, think of it this way. Um, community gardens are a big thing in both suburban and urban areas. Uh, the Walnut Way Association, which works in the neighborhood just west of our partner Cross Lutheran Church, did a super cool thing, which I, you know, I think has been done in many other places, but I'd never ever seen it before. And what they did is they had a, they had a, a school child who is in a wheelchair and, and couldn't garden. And accessibility isn't just being able to roll the wheelchair into the garden, it's also just being able to garden. And so what did they do? They just built beds that were like three feet high so that you could roll the wheelchair up and you could garden right at the level of the child. And, and so that serves not just that child, but, but older people who also uh, are confined to wheelchairs and now suddenly have an opportunity to garden at their level. We human beings, we can make level paths for each other, which we need to do. Because false witnesses have risen against me and are breathing out violence. So the mosque here in Brookfield had a prayer service in memory of the people in New Zealand on Friday night, and they invited the interfaith community to come. Uh, I showed up and, and said a few words, and, and what I said was, as I, as I looked out on the people who were gathered there, every one of those faith communities have experienced violence just in the last few years, and so the Sikh community was there, and you know about the shooting in Oak Creek. Uh, the Baha'i community is there, and they are uh, persistently persecuted in, in Iran, their home country. Uh, the Jewish community was there. Synagogues have been attacked time and again in our country and other places. 
most recently and violently in Pittsburgh. Christians have been attacked here in Charleston. Uh, just uh, two weeks ago in, in Nigeria, 30 Christians were killed by uh, Muslim herdsmen uh, in a rural part of the country. And of course, Muslims killed in New Zealand. So sometimes people call that insanity. That somehow individualizes it. Other people call it terrorism. That somehow groupizes it. I don't know what you know, the right word for it is, but it's, it's extremism. And, and from my super limited personal experience, I, I just think it is so true. I, so I spend all this time with you, the suburban white, for the most part, congregation. And then sometimes I'm at Cross, this largely African-American congregation, uh, to do Bible studies. And then my son was in this Muslim village in Togo for two years. And, and, and we are in El Salvador all the time. Uh, with the people of El Salvador. And, and, and those are, of course, religious communities, but they're representative of, of the neighborhoods from which they come. Most of the people in this world, the vast majority of these people in the world, at a minimum, are live and let live. And I think it's true that most people are, if I could help somebody else, I will. And so the people who literally want to destroy and tear apart are such a small, extreme, and it, it, it depends on you and I to be the center that will not for a moment give that quarter and will, and every moment, be true to who we are. We, are. we are sent by Jesus Christ who in the Beatitudes says, blessed are the peacemakers, who in the Sermon on the Mount says, it's, it's not enough to love those who love you. Who says, pray for those who, who persecute you. Who says, if you turn, return evil for evil, what's the point of that? You need to return good in the face of evil. This is who Christians have been time and again for centuries. We are surely capable of this. We are surely capable of this. We are the center. Though, though false witnesses at the extremes might rise up against me and, and breathe out their violence, we are Jesus' people. We are Jesus' people. There's this research that shows that um, when you're in a conversation with somebody you know pretty well, uh, you actually make eye contact for quite a while, for about eight seconds. Find somebody to make eye contact with right now. Look somebody in the eye. It's not a staring contest. You can blink. If you've got nobody to match up with, I'll look at you. I don't know if I can look at you two guys. <laughs> I'm going to go over here with Paul. Here, here on your own. So here we go. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You have eight seconds to say a prayer today. You have eight seconds to listen to somebody today. You have eight seconds to stop today. You have eight seconds to ask, how are you? and mean it. It's so hard to wait, right? Wait on the Lord. Come, my heart says, 
seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. This to me is theologically the most interesting one of the things because there's about half of the Hebrew scriptures that, that would say to see the face of God is to die. And then there's about half of the Hebrew scriptures, most notably the Psalms, that says everything you long for in life is to see the face of God. And, and you, can, you can almost know why that difference is just as a human being. Because especially when you have screwed something up and you are ashamed of it or, or you are deeply disappointed in yourself or you're desperately afraid of the consequences of what you've done wrong. If you think that God is an angry judge who is out to get you, the last thing you want to see is God's face because that God will either strike you down or that God will look at you with that look of disappointment that will drive you into the ground. Or you can understand your God as one who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And therefore, I hope you've had this in your life, and if you haven't, I pray you will have it in your life at some point. When you have made a profound mistake and you are ashamed of yourself, I hope there's someone that perhaps whose face you seek out because you know that rather than turn away from you or, or look at you in anger and disgust or in judgment, that that face will recognize at some level the pain you are in for the mistake that you have made and that they will meet your eyes and they will love you back to a better place of being. Seek the face, people. Don't be afraid. Don't wrap yourself in spiritual bubble wrap. You're dead when you're afraid. Have some faith. Get out there and live. Make a level path for somebody if you have a chance. Let your heart be transformed so that the, so that the extremism of the world is never at once, uh, at, at all, something that tempts you. And that instead, the, the, the absolute centrality of the good news of Jesus Christ keeps you grounded. And if, if you and I cannot understand that, be willing to wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And especially this week, having heard all of that from, from the preacher in the front, should you screw it all up or forget all about it and be ashamed of who you are, then most especially, you know, seek the face. So we usually sing this next one in Advent to which it is well-suited, but perhaps it is equally well-suited to the season of Lent. Light dawns on dreary 